Hey, Rebel Risers, you are listening to episode 124 of the Rebel Rising podcast. On today's show, we've got a very special guest, Alexia Vernon. She has just released her first book, Step Into Your Moxie. It is a soul-stirring call to action for women to speak up for themselves and the ideas and issues that matter most to them. A bit about Alexia. Branded a moxie maven by President Obama's White House Office of Public Engagement for her unique and effective approach to female empowerment, Alexia is equal parts practical, poetic, and playful delivery style make her a sought-after speaker, speaking coach, and women's leadership consultant and trainer. During this episode, we talk about how Alexia is rebelling against the notion that women's leadership and influence has to look a certain way what a bunny, a cheetah, and a dragon have to do with leadership, and how the world would change if women own their power and spoke up. I hope you love this conversation as much as I did. Welcome to the Rebel Rising Podcast, where business owners, speakers, and entrepreneurs have real conversations about making the journey to becoming the next generation of thought leaders and influencers. This is the place to take a stand in your industry, get messy with your message, slay your mindset demons, and grow a profitable business that allows you to make a bigger impact while doing more good. Here's your host, the instigator of three-word rebellion, Dr. Michelle Mazur. Welcome, Alexia, to the Rebel Rising Podcast. Thank you for having me, Michelle. Yay, I'm so happy you're here. And first, I just want to congratulate you on the book. I will say that I loved reading this book because these are topics that I grapple with myself and my clients grapple with. And I've always wanted to write about these topics, never had the time. And now we have your book and I can just give those to my clients. So I love that this book exists. So the first thing I wanted to ask was, can you tell me a little bit about your journey that led you to writing Step Into Your Moxie? Yes. And thank you so much for those kind words, because it really is one of those books that I want lots of women to read, but I particularly want women who, obviously that's why I wrote the book, right? But I really want folks who feel like they're already doing a lot right. Like they know that they were put here to do big things, to spread big ideas. Mm -hmm. And yet there's also that sense of sometimes I get in my own way and I still have self-doubt and I might even have a certain amount of shame about that fact because I should have it figured out, but I don't. So I wrote the book as much for me (laughs) as I did for readers because I think we all need those reminders. But I just wanted to acknowledge you for saying that. The journey to write it, there were a few things that intersected. So I want to be completely honest that I wrote a few books early in my career that had nothing to do with where my career ultimately wound up. One was about career development things. Mm -hmm. Another was about onboarding millennials. And so I put a certain amount of pressure on myself that by the time I was going to write a book on women and voice, I really wanted it to be like the book. So I never left feeling like I have another book I have to write now. Not to say that I may not write one in the future, but like uh, everything that's in me right now came out, which meant that I really wanted to write a self-improvement book, but I also kind of wanted to write a memoir. And I also kind of wanted to scratch my humor itch and bring all of those pieces together. And I wasn't sure how to do it for a long time. 
And then um, this is a total cliche uh, online entrepreneur story, but in the middle of a launch, the launch was not going quite as well as I hoped it would. And I started to have these really evocative dreams at night and not evocative as in like my business is going to fail and I'm going to die, <laughs> fortunately, but rather these downloads for the book, like chapters just started landing in my dreams. So I'd wake up and I would take notes. I'd say over the course of three weeks, right after the cart closed and the program started, I really had the vision for what the book would look like. Mm. And some of it is informed by the women's leadership and communication development work that I've done over the years. But then, like I said, I also wanted to bring in stories and ask provocative questions and be zany. And so that's what came together. What I love about that story, and it's something that I've seen in my own business, I sometimes feel like our best ideas come out at times of struggle where we really are at like a crossroads in our business or things aren't going right. And then all of a sudden, there's just like this other idea that's a beacon that we're like, oh, yes, the next thing. Sometimes we don't know when we're in what I like to call a bum-bum-biting moment, like what is the lesson we're supposed to learn? <laughs> and sometimes it's going through that struggle and keeping the faith. And I had a lot of faith, even though I was incredibly frustrated. And a lot of pearls that I couldn't have seen at the time wound up manifesting. So I talk about this other one during the book, but one of the reasons why that launch had been so important was I really wanted to bring my husband into my business. I felt like this would be the moment where that could finally happen. And when I stopped focusing on the fact that maybe it couldn't, let myself start writing the book proposal mm -hmm. and then ultimately shopping it to agents, wouldn't you know, things all did come together and he wound up coming into my business anyway. So a good reminder that sometimes if we're too short-sighted, we get in our own way of what the long-term goal can actually be. Ah, oh, such a good lesson. Yeah, because you still accomplished what you wanted to accomplish. It just came about in a different way, which is just exactly. lovely and it feels so easy. And since I'm a control freak, that's what I struggle with. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you, sister, right there with you. I will say I love the title of your book, Step Into Your Moxie, because... Moxie is a great word. It was a word that I actually played with early on in my business. And I've always loved that word. And it's a great example of a three-word rebellion. So I'm going to ask you- I'm glad you considered a three-word. I felt so guilty because, you know, the into makes it four. <laughs> I know. So my rules for a three-word rebellion are it can be between two to five words okay. because I don't want to be so- constructive with it. Like sometimes it's four words, sometimes it's two. And I, I don't want to be rigid about my rules. So I'm going to ask you my three word rebellion questions. So the first thing, what are you rebelling against? The message that for women to have influence and to be seen as powerful communicators and leaders, that it has to look a certain way. Mm. And I describe that in terms of a bunny, a dragon, and a cheetah. I know you know what I mean by this, but let me explain for <laughs> listeners. So to me, a bunny represents one form of femininity. When we are soft and cute and cuddly and hustling for approval from other people, where it feels like mm. we're tap dancing on eggshells. On the flip side, 
because many of us are seeking not to be that kind of feminine leader, we go the opposite direction and then we can get labeled a dragon. And a dragon, like the term, is fiery. It's our way or it's the highway. We are rigid. It feels like we're trying to puff up and prove ourselves and go harder and faster, a very masculine energy. Mm-hmm. I get it because I have ping pong between both. And I think a lot of us have. It's not like we're a bunny or we're a dragon. We have both for many of us. But what I'm recommending is what I call the cheetah. For those who are not familiar with the cheetah as an animal or as an archetype, a cheetah is inherently flexible, just like the animal, knows how to accelerate and be all in when she needs to be. So cheetahs can accelerate faster than any other land creature when they want. But the beautiful thing about a cheetah in the wild, I've been told, haven't gotten cozy with the cheetah before, <laughs> um, but they can also hold back and watch. Sometimes they let other animals feed first before they make the decision that it's their turn. And that to me really gets to the heart of good communication and leadership, knowing when to listen and observe and ask questions rather than always jumping into the center and saying, look at me. <laughs> so can you tell me about a time when you were a cheetah in your communication? Yes. There have been several. When I started to think about feminine leadership in this instance, it actually happened around a speaking engagement. So I had been the closing keynote speaker at a social enterprise conference. I got to this event a little bit early to watch the participants pitch fest. Mm -hmm. And each of the approximately 100 young people in their 20s who were participating had a couple of minutes to present their big idea for how to harness entrepreneurial solutions to solve some kind of big social, economic, or environmental problem. And the pitches were really, really good. They were bold. They were well-researched. They were full of heart. The other attendees had the opportunity to vote for who they felt was the best pitcher. And I'm watching all of this unfold before I give my closing keynote. The finalists' names are announced, and every single one of them was male. Mm. In a room full of Approximately 100 young people, it was 50% female, 50% male. Not one woman's voice was picked. And so I had that feeling in my gut, like somebody was just stabbing me with knives, which for me is always an indication I need to speak up and say something. And you know, as a speaker, you don't really want to offend your event host. But when you're watching something like that unfold, it's hard to stay mum. And so I took to Twitter and I started asking the question and ultimately we had a break and started asking whoever would speak to me, what just happened? Where are the voices of our young women? And what I heard from both the young women and the young men was really, really interesting because both said that they had picked based on who they saw to be the best presenter. And when I asked them to unpick that a little bit, it was who projected confidence, who was loud, who took up space, a more masculine model of delivery. But yet when we unpicked, who were the speakers, the communicators that you felt most connected to, the young women and the young men both started naming the names of women because they told stories, they were vulnerable, in some cases, even admitting they still had a lot to learn, they needed to gather more resources and relationships for their ideas to be successful, yet that wasn't seen to be, quote, effective pitching or presenting. And so I changed my closing keynote (laughs) from what it was supposed to be and went a little bit rogue and talked about this. And it was a powerful moment, not because that's when my business pivoted, 
but to see both men and women recognizing this is a problem. It's not helping any of us. And we're down to have a different kind of conversation rather than let's just talk about how do we build a sustainable career in the social enterprise circle. And it's a systemic problem because that situation that you've described, I've seen it when I was a coach of a speech and debate team at the University of Oklahoma. I actually did an analysis of all of the national championship tournaments for parliamentary debate. And guess what? If you were a male, male team, you were more likely to win, to get into the breakout rounds. And if you were a female, female team, you were at a significant disadvantage. And I've also seen that at Toastmasters International, although they did this weekend crown like the top three speakers at the international speech contest were female, which is awesome. First time that's ever happened. But it is this large systemic problem that we don't see women as leaders because they don't come across like men. Yes. And I always find it fascinating whenever I ask a group of women, let's say I'm doing a leadership development activity or leading a retreat, to name a female leader who inspires them. And I tell them, you cannot name somebody within your organization. You cannot name your mother, your sister, a family member. And you cannot name Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, how many struggle to do it? They mm -hmm. want to name a man. Yes, because, well, and I think we saw this in the 2016 election with Hillary Clinton, that she got a lot of critique for her style because she, she was trying to force herself to be like a man, and that really wasn't who she was. Right. And everybody wanted to put her in the box of a dragon, if you will. Mm -hmm. We see that with so many examples of women in speaking, in leadership, across industries and sectors that... You know, you're soft and you're dismissible, or you're sexy and you're dismissible, or you're trying to be a man. Yes. And that's, those are your options, unless you're a cheetah, which I love <laughs> the idea. So tell me, what is the change that you want to see created in this world? There are so many. In the last two years, the list is very, very long and growing. <laughs> if I have to pick one, though, I really, really want to see an end to sexual violence and... Mm. I see communication as a key contributor to this. For women and men, knowing how to say no, even when, especially when they're terrified. Being able to set boundaries in relationships, giving feedback about what feels good and what doesn't, reporting acts of abuse when they happen. Especially for men, knowing how to have honest and open conversations with partners. Mm. everyone asking for consent. So while that's not necessarily the primary focus of the book, although I'm open about my own experiences with sexual abuse, to me, that's my greater why. And working on communication and public speaking, those are all a piece to that larger goal. I really see the connection because especially if you're a bunny, <laughs> you're supposed to be people pleasing, right? And you don't know doesn't necessarily mean no. And it's hard to set those boundaries. And then what you accept quickly becomes unacceptable. The better that women can advocate and communicate in every setting leads to us being able to speak up about sexual violence, sexual abuse, and matters of consent. So I see how your, how your work in this world really relates to that larger goal. Thank you.
Yes. I love that. I love it. So great to have such a big vision and see like how your work gets us even one step closer. And I know you're the same way. So I'm talking to somebody who totally gets it. Yeah. I would love to hear about a time where you really stepped into your own moxie because as we've been talking about women, do you have a problem saying no or owning our power? So I'd love to hear about your own experience of stepping into it. The story that most immediately comes to mind is a story that happened when I was four years old. It's a story I, I share in the, in the book. It was my fourth Christmas and my parents would always throw a big old shindig at our house for holidays. Mm-hmm. And so this particular Christmas, everybody had gone home and my parents were sleeping And I was upstairs, laying awake in my bed by myself, having a moment with the big guy upstairs. I had made a promise that night that I was going to keep a secret. Mm -hmm. Although this was back in the day before there was that expression, snitches get stitches. Even at a wee four years old, I still had that sense that if I spoke up, there would be some serious consequences. And yet at the same time, I also knew that if I stayed quiet, I was not making the right choice for myself. And so I pulled myself out of bed. I walked across the hall to my parents' bedroom, woke my mom up, and I told her what I know as the mom of a daughter who is that exact same age right now is the worst thing that a parent could hear. I shared that somebody else in our family had been sexually abusing me. And the thing about that incident, for so long, I did not think of it as an act of moxie at all. Because I can't tell you that that was like this initial act that started a chain reaction of being this little kid who spoke up and out for herself and on behalf of others. Not everybody in my family was ready for that information to be shared. And Mm -hmm. so the message I took away was that, yes, when I speak up, people listen, but I didn't necessarily want that power. I watched lots of family relationships break up, um, people having to choose between me and this other person in the family. Ultimately, more violence and abuse likely happening because there was no paradigm for how to be able to have the difficult conversations that needed to happen. And so another huge piece of this work for me is also empowering those who are parents or who are educators or have children in their lives to be able to role play conversations. Because Mm -hmm. what I didn't find out until the time of my daughter's birth, and I don't think I actually shared the story in the book, was that I was with my mom. We were flipping through old memorabilia. We came across this article that was dated 1982, which meant that uh, I was two years old. (laughs) And the article was about how to talk to your children about what constitutes safe touch. And in the article were all these notes from my mom indicating that she'd had that kind of conversation with me and I understood what to say. And so there's like no doubt in my mind, why did I speak up and why did I come to her? Because she'd role played that kind of conversation. So that's another passion area for me is really supporting anyone who has a relationship with a child to have those age appropriate conversations about what to say Mm -hmm. so that if something does happen, children are empowered to speak up for themselves. Yeah. And they have that, I hate to say permission, but it is kind of giving them the permission, the words in order to say something. Because I think, so I love that you use the word permission, Michelle, because for a lot of us at whatever season of life or career business we're at, 
it's easy to feel like we don't have permission to say that thing. And the permission rarely is ever going to come from somebody else. It's always an inside job. Mm-hmm. And the way to give ourselves permission is by role playing, whether that is a negotiation, a daring conversation, a speech or anything else. Oh, yeah, it's funny because my next question for you is going to be like, how do you step into your moxie? But it does seem like this first giving yourself permission and saying, yes. all right, I'm the one who has to do this work and then role playing it thinking it through, talking to a friend about it and role-playing is the next step to take in order to really speak up and step into your moxie. It is about, I had a client, uh, Jen Leonard, who once said this just so brilliantly, it's taking a parachute from your brain down into the rest of your body so that you don't live from the neck up where you replay and you sculpt and you ruminate Mm -hmm. and then nothing ever comes out of your mouth. It's being able to work on the mindset, but then it's also the behavior and that behavior, the only way to do it to find your words, but also the body language is to practice it. I love your example with a friend. It could be with somebody on your team. It could Mm -hmm. be with a partner, but not going into situations where the first time something is important is coming out of your mouth is in front of the audience, but rather you have constructed it. You've heard it come out of you. You know what your body's doing when you move that message into the world. That will make it so much easier. And I even think about this in terms like if you run a business and you have a client and that relationship isn't going as well as you want to. Like I know for me, it's so easy just to ruminate and be like, oh, well, blah, 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 and this and this and that, and they should be doing yada, yada. But what has <laughs> always helped me is actually talking it through with some someone else and, you know, like role playing what needs to be said so that I can make sure that A, I want my client to get the results and B, I want to maintain my boundaries and my integrity at the same time. So yeah, I think role playing is such a key to having those difficult or challenging types of conversation. So the last question I have for you, and it's the question I have is from my favorite part of your book, which was about legacy over fame. Why do you think it's important to think about your legacy versus getting famous? (laughs) Where do I begin? (laughs) It's really easy to create an either or, meaning... I want to get visible because it's all about me and I want to build my followers and I want to build my revenue, yada, yada, yada. Or on the flip side, I'm a person of service. I want to give. I need to receive nothing. And both of those without a little bit of the other don't work. And so the impetus for the chapter, uh, chapter 13 about choosing legacy over fame was really helping folks irrespective of if they're business owners or professionals or don't have a job or they're freelancers or anything else, are to ask the questions about what's the legacy that they want to leave behind. I give a visualization activity. I give some stories because I find once you have an answer to that question, then you can ask a follow-up question. How is the work that I'm engaged in moving me towards creating that legacy that I want to leave behind? And once you start to realize, hopefully, these are the pieces that fit, these are the pieces that don't fit, it gives us permission to realize that we don't need to be an internet superstar to actually make meaningful impact, nor do we need to privilege making ourselves an internet superstar, the thing, until we start trying to do the things to make impact. 
The other thing I really wanted to drive home here was that I don't believe that great leaders are those who start things. I think that great leaders are those who finish things. Mm. And that's a tough pill to swallow sometimes, particularly when we don't see enough women leading the way or being visible. It might be construed as me saying just sit back and let other women do things and join in. And that, I want to be super clear, I'm not giving you a hall pass to be on the sidelines, but rather to look at what are the things you're seeking to positively impact. And to recognize that it doesn't always mean that you have to hang out a shingle and start something new. Sometimes it means being that leader who comes in to bring something that's been started to that next level. Sometimes it's making impact in your immediate circumstances. So maybe there's an issue in your local community or there's something going on in your organization or in your child's school that can be as much of a part of the legacy that you leave behind, making deep impact with something that's one degree away, just like building a business to be able to move your ideas forward. Yes. Well, and I love the idea of thinking of legacy as one degree away versus like, I have to be this internet star. And at the same time, I feel like there's something super valuable in saying, hey, if the legacy and the impact that I want to make makes me known for this work, then that's okay too. Yes, yes, yes. One of my favorite expressions is yes, thank you, more please, whenever (laughs) stuff starts to happen. So it's that sense of like, yes, this is it. I'm in the game. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And if great things show up, being in a space where we can hold that and make clear that we're ready for more. Yes. And the other thing that I was really picking up is this commitment to your legacy, right? Like you don't necessarily have to be the one who starts, but you have to be the one who finishes. Mm -hmm. And so that means you have to have a deep level of commitment. Like you have a deep level of commitment to step into your moxie. You're going to be talking about it for the foreseeable future. I have a commitment to the three-word rebellion. Like that is my legacy that I am birthing into the world. We have to see it to its finish. Like that's the goal here in order to leave that legacy. So I also find that when I consider legacy, it gives me permission to hang my weirdo flag out. And what I mean by that is it's easy to get so mired in our business as our identity And there's so many other people who are doing something similar like us Mm -hmm. that we lose our way and we lose our voice. And when I remember that the legacy I leave is about my voice, my point of view, the things that stir my soul, the things that piss me off, it also gives me permission to be able to step into my moxie or ignite a movement to do it my way with my own values, strengths, interests, resources, that that's enough. And not only is that enough, but that's exactly what's needed because that's what I can bring to the table or bring to the issue. Yeah. And that's what you can bring to the movement and the change you want to create into this world. Thank you so much, Alexia, for being on the podcast. So tell us where can we get your book and where can we find you? Thank you. So the book is available wherever booksellers sell books. So I mean, the (laughs) obvious ones are Amazon, Barnes & Noble, IndieBound. And I also have a bunch of awesome book bonuses. So if anyone wants to go to stepintoyourmoxie.com, try to keep it simple. 
And then that'll give you some instructions for links to be able to order the book. And then you can come back and enter in all of your details. And then I'll send you some more love. Oh, awesome. People, please go buy this book. If you've ever struggled with owning your voice, owning your power, speaking up, this is the book for you to read. So thank you so much, Alexia, for being on the Rebel Rising podcast. Thanks again for having me and for airing it on launch day, October 16th. Congratulations. So excited. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Rebel Rising podcast. If you enjoyed the show and find it valuable, please rate and review us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. When you leave us a review, you help more people find the show. For more information on working with me on your three-word rebellion messaging or your keynote speech and speaker marketing, go to drmichellemazur.com. See you next time, Rebel Riser. Rebel Riser.